0: Well, good morning. Glad you're, you're here. Glad you're with us online and down in F3 this morning. Um, you know, before we get into uh, our passage this morning, uh, I think uh, something should be said about last weekend with Follow Star. And um, it was a great weekend. God provided a super time. Um, over 6,300 people uh, joined us as they came through. Something close to 2,000 cars. And hundreds of UFBCers uh, participated and I think for me, what, one of the fun things is always to see the interaction of FBCers. Um, it's, you know Where else are you gonna get a 65-year-old pastor uh, dancing uh, with the middle school girls uh, Christmas carols outside you know, in, in the public? Uh, but we do it in Follow the Star. And just older people with younger people and people who don't know each other and just that whole um, interaction of the body of, of Christ uh, to present the the compelling message of the gospel to this community, it's just a, it's just an encouraging time. So thank you f- to everyone who participated and uh, prayed about it and used your gifts and and your not so gift gifting us to uh, just have fun and present the good news uh, to this community. Um, I think it, it just says something about the resiliency of. Uh, of the body of Christ that in spite of some challenging times you you back up, you rethink, you do something different and um, we have a passion to proclaim the good news of Jesus so that's um, that's, what we're, that's, that's what we're about and um, thank you for everyone who participated. Great time. Mr. Henry F. Potter hands down the most unliked, unlovable, despicable person in Bedford Falls, right? Very rich, very greedy, surly, mean. Well, if you've seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life, you know what I mean, right? Well, What's your point, Mr. Potter? My point? My point is I want to hire you. Hire me? Uh, I want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town? Buying your wife a lot of fine clothes? A couple of business trips to New York a year? Maybe once in a while, Europe? You wouldn't mind that, would you, Jones? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else around here, all right? you? You know, th- this is me. You remember me? George Bailey. George Bailey. Yeah. George Bailey, whose ship has just come in. ...provided he has enough brains to climb aboard. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Well, how about the billing and loan? Oh, confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three years contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? Well, oh, Mr. Potter, I, I, I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I, I just... Uh, I, I wonder if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, yes. and in the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. Okay, hey, Mr. Potter. No, 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 wait a minute here, wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours, I, I don't have to talk to anybody, I know right now, and the answer's no, no, God, it. You, you sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You, and that goes for you, too. For you too. Every town probably has uh, Mr. Potter. Uh, they live, you know, grandiose lives of insignificance. Uh, they don't have any friends, a lot of enemies, and uh, typically they're, well, they're just very lonely, very lonely. Um, the town of, uh, of the biblical city of Jericho was no different. Uh, Jericho was um, was a a town that had a Mr. Potter, too, and his name was Zacchaeus. You remember the story? If you've been in church uh, growing up, you always knew about the wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree, right? Well, it's found in Luke chapter 19. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 19 this morning as we find out about Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. The first couple verses uh, kind of sets the, 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 the setting, the scene. He entered Jericho, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Uh, Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. In fact, He's on His way to be crucified. This is towards the end of His ministry life. Last stop was Jericho, about 15 miles outside of uh, Jerusalem, and Jericho was a significant uh, city. It was located, on, it was a very ancient city, of course, and it was located on that Trans-Jordanian highway, the chief highway that ran from the north all the way down into Egypt. Um, very significant uh, city, uh, very wealthy city because um, of its location. And uh, it was a great city for a a tax collector because on that Transjordanian highway, uh, they put up a a custom booth to collect taxes from people going through. So everybody coming and and going would have to pay a tax. And you could get very, very wealthy as a tax collector. Well, notice Zacchaeus, it says, was a chief tax collector. I mean, this reprobate, this... uh, this good-for-nothing tax collector was the head of all the other reprobates. And, um, and he was making a boatload of money. The Romans would set a particular level of tax, and then tax collectors, they could double it or triple it and pocket the rest. That's how they, that's how they played the game. Uh, over the years, we've, we've talked about tax collectors here in various other sermons, you might recall. I mean, these guys were the sophisticated Thugs of the ancient world, the, the, the kind of the ancient mafia, and they really were extortionists, and, and worst of all, they were traitors to their own people. Uh, these were Jewish people working in cahoots with the Roman government, and um, and they were they were cleaning house financially up on their on their own people. Um, they were they were hated. They were mentioned in the same breath as murderers and thieving, they were, they were scurvy little spiders, and everybody hated them. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was in charge of it all. And it says there, and he was rich. No kidding. Well, that's kind of an understatement. The chief tax collector in Jericho on the Transjordanian Highway, he was extremely rich. By the way, that's kind of a That's a a poke in the eye to the religious leaders of the day. Um, Because in their theology, wealth and riches was an indicator that you were uh, righteous, that you were uh, in good with God. And here was Zacchaeus, uh, an obvious, worthless, hell-bound sinner who was very rich. But not only was being rich a poke in the eye to the religious leaders, uh, his very name also was. You see, Zacchaeus means the pure one or the righteous one. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. The righteous one. Now, don't let his name fool you because if there was anyone who deserved hell, it was Zacchaeus. Um, in fact, if God would have brought a lightning bolt and... Fried the guy right on the spot in his custom tax collecting booth, there would have been great rejoicing in all of the city for the wicked chief tax collector had died. But God had other plans for Zacchaeus. Keep reading in the passage, verse 3. Zacchaeus, it says, was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, and he was small in stature. Two other things we learn here about Zacchaeus something was compelling him to want to see Jesus. He was very motivated to try to find out about Jesus. The second thing we know about him is that he was small in stature. He was a short guy. So, verse 4, he ran on ahead. He climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was about to pass through on that way. Um, This was was highly unusual. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, in uh, his book entitled Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, uh, explains it this way. For undisclosed reasons, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Not to fulfill that intense desire, he carried out two highly unusual acts. He ran and he climbed a tree. And Bailey writes, Middle Eastern adults do not run in public if they wish to avoid public shame. And furthermore, powerful rich men do not climb trees at public parades anywhere in the world. Zacchaeus breaks with his culture both by running and by climbing a tree. I mean, this guy was highly motivated. He wanted to see Jesus and he was willing to break with public decorum to do it. Now, we don't know for sure why. Maybe you know, we don't know the, the background of the story. Were there tax-collecting friends of his who had met Jesus before? I mean, Jesus had a disciple, right? Matthew, who was a tax collector. Uh, did, did, did he hear about the wonderful things he had done? I mean, why would this guy who was so well-situated in life care to see Jesus? Whatever the case, Zacchaeus was very determined to get a glance at Jesus and so he does things that would be an embarrassment to anyone he runs and he climbed a tree to see Jesus now it's Jesus turn in verse 5 to do something highly unregular when Jesus came to that place he looked up and he said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house Come down, for I must stay at your house. Now, again, very highly unlikely that that would have happened. In, again, in Middle Eastern context, you don't invite yourself to someone else's home. But that's what Jesus is doing. So not only does Zacchaeus break with, with the tr- typical traditions and public decorum, Jesus does. I'm going to stay at your house today. The cultural norms don't seem to stop Jesus from pursuing people and it was great news for Zacchaeus. Verse 6 he hurried and came down and received him gladly, which didn't sit well in verse 7 with the people. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, what would have pleased the people of that day, if they would have been in that scene, would be for Jesus to stop and look up, and then you're just waiting like, okay, he's got, to, he's got to get this guy. And what a really, if you want to please the masses of people, this is what you would have said. Zacchaeus, you are not a righteous one. You are a, filth, you are a scurvy little spider. You deserve hell, repent, or you are doomed. You have robbed people. You have cheated. You are a no-good, hell-bound sinner. Repent! Oh man, that would have brought applause from people. Give it to him, Jesus. Jesus would have said something like that. It would have been exactly what they would have said. But he says, come down for him. I must stay in your home. He invites himself and of course the people are going to grumble. He comes to Zacchaeus' home and Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed by This display of love and grace. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And look how Jesus responds in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, when Jesus used that phrase, you are a son of Abraham, um, what he meant was you you are a man of faith. I mean, Apostle Paul would write about this in the book of Galatians when he talked about uh, everyone who is of faith is a a child of Abraham, is a son of, uh, of Abraham. In other words, hearkening back to the Old Testament, to Genesis, to the calling of Abraham, where God said, Abraham, leave your home and and go to a land that I will show you and I'll make a great nation out of you. And the text said in Genesis, Abraham believed God. And that belief was reckoned to him as righteousness. And what Jesus is saying here, Zacchaeus displayed faith. And therefore it proved that he truly was a child of Abraham. Zacchaeus' faith had saved him. Now in the final analysis, the real question is this: How was it possible for a terrible, no-good, rotten, dirty, hell-bound sinner like Zacchaeus, who everyone hated? How was it possible for someone like Zacchaeus to get saved? Well, the answer is in verse 10, and there it is in his own words, kind of the series we're doing here in December. Jesus said, for, so he's explaining why this is even possible, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In his own words, Jesus is explaining why he came. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now remember, back in verse 7, people were grumbling and complaining because Jesus said he was going to go to his house. How shocking that a respected rabbi like Jesus would go to a notorious sinner's home like this. But if going to Zacchaeus' home was shocking, what Jesus just said in verse 10 is even more shocking. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You see, every good Jew who would have heard that phrase would have understood that Jesus was tying himself back to a particular Old Testament passage. Dennis McNutt last week um, referred us back to that passage and it's Ezekiel chapter 34. So take your Bibles go back in the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 1 Ezekiel 34, verse 1. Then the word of Jehovah, the Lord, came to me and said, Son of man, verse 2, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with a wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field and they were scattered. Verse 6, my flock wandered through all the mountains and all And every high hill, my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Now jump down to verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he's among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and I'll deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in the good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. And there they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. Now look at verse 16. I will seek the lost, bring them back, and bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them with judgment. Jehovah God is saying, What you shepherds of Israel were not doing, in fact, you were just doing the opposite, I will do. I will come, I will seek and to save that which is lost. And so when Jesus, back in Luke chapter 19, when he says, here's my purpose, here's why he came, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, boom, right back to Ezekiel 34. Everybody would have understood that. Jesus is proclaiming himself Messiah. Messiah. He's acknowledging his role to seek and to save that which is lost. He says, I am Messiah. I am the the God of the Old Testament. I'm the one who was promised that would come and and seek and save that which is lost. And to Jewish leaders who heard Jesus say that, I mean, that was, was anathema. It was also a slap in the face. Jewish leaders would not have taken a single step towards a Zacchaeus, the filthy, wretched sinner. Talk about a lost sheep of Israel. To hell with such a one! And Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. In the years of of dirty, rotten sinners like Zacchaeus. The words of Ezekiel 34 were blessed words. And he was hearing it with his own ears. The one who was saying, I am that one. I've come. There's good news. God loves lost sheep. And I've come to seek and to save you. By the way, I think this passage of Zacchaeus is enhanced if you look at the, very, um, the story just preceding this story at the last part of, uh, of chapter 18. Over in chapter 18, verse 35, it's the story of, of, um, of the blind man as Jesus was approaching Jericho, just outside Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging and hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire, what this was and they told him it was Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he called out saying Jesus son of David have mercy on me and those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet but he he kept crying out all the more son of David have mercy on me and Jesus stopped commanded that he be brought to him and when he came near he questioned him what do you want me to do to you and he said Lord I want to regain my sight Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. There was no one more oppressed, there was no one more in the the clutches of, of darkness and poverty than this blind Bartimaeus. He was on the opposite end of the spectrum of the guy in the next story, Zacchaeus. There's no one more rich and wealthy and and set for life than Zacchaeus. Here you got the blind beggar in Jericho and the, the richest of the rich in Jericho, both encountering Jesus, both men needing Jesus, both men crying out in desperation. And both men because of faith, receiving life in Jesus. And Luke, I think, is telling us in these two stories, it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on or anywhere in between. God loves to find sinners who cry out to him in faith. The story of Zacchaeus should be a great encouragement, I think, for us today. Um, It tells us that there is no sinner so sinful that God's love and grace cannot reach them. In fact, you know what it actually tells us? It actually tells us that you will never find God's grace unless you acknowledge you are a sinner. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Elsewhere, early on in Jesus' ministry, um, there was that encounter with the religious leaders when he forgave the sins of a paralytic and and the religious leaders were grousing over that and how can man forgive sins? And, and Jesus explains it's not, it's not those who are well who need a physician, it's those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, the great physician. Jesus is of no benefit to religious people because he came to seek and save the lost. If you're here today and you're, you're a religious person, prepare for hell. Because Jesus only came for scurvy little spiders. Lost people. That's the heart of God. The fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to seek and to save that which is lost. The angel told Joseph, call His name Jesus, Yeshua, because He will save His people from their sins. The bottom line, the heart and soul of of Christianity is very simply stated that God has done the unthinkable because of his love for the unlovable so that he receives all the unshareable glory. Jesus did the unthinkable. I'm going to come to your house today. He he said that to the unlovable Zacchaeus or blind Bartimaeus so that he would get all the unshareable glory. A couple things well, things, are many things in this passage I think that we could spend time and talk about, but one thing that I guess stirred my heart, I, I've been a believer ever since I was five years old, as you know, if you've been here any long time. So I, I've, I grew up in a Christian home, I've been a Christian for 60 years. I don't quite remember what it was like in my pre-conversion state. You know, I don't know what a, how bad I was as a little boy, a little five year old, four year old boy. Some of you came to faith later in life. What what? One of the things that jumped out to me though was was this excitement of Zacchaeus to to run, climb a tree, to see Jesus, to welcome him in his home. Uh, to th- there was such joy. I'll give all this away. I. You know I want you Jesus the blind beggar on the road he, he followed Jesus I mean his life was totally changed do you remember what it was like for those of you who became believers in Jesus later in life do you, do you remember what it was like those first days weeks after you trusted Christ as your Savior I, I don't know what your what your story is um, probably a lot of you were like mine you got saved when you were little some of you it was later Do you remember the excitement? Don't you wish maybe, maybe you do, but don't you wish you had that excitement again? Like Paul tells his young faith, his child of the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, he said, kindle afresh the gift of God which was given to you. Light the, fan the fires, fan the flames again. It's easy, isn't it, to to just kind of get complacent? You know? Oh, Christmas, yeah, that's it. (laughs) The birth of Jesus. Christmas! God so loved the world, He sent His Son. woo Fan the flame. This is the greatest story we could ever share. And does it stir you up? Think back to when you first trusted Jesus as your Savior. Like Zacchaeus. Excited. Because the Savior found him. He fulfilled Ezekiel. He's the Jehovah God who, who sought me out and loved me. Stir up the fires that once were white hot for God. There's a second thing that I think we can walk away with this morning. Is there anyone that you know, anybody in your family, anybody that you work with, a neighbor that you... Would consider unredeemable, you know, the 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 scurvy little spider that uh, is certainly hell bound and good riddance. Anybody that you know that is just you've checked it off the list, they are unreachable. We mentioned uh, I mentioned earlier this fall. Uh, what the believers in Nigeria are facing. We heard this week from Simon Yako again. I mean, it seems like all the time um, pastors or missionaries in Nigeria or or in the area are being taken captive, held for ransom. Um, Some are killed in captivity. The Boko Haram, these Islamic groups, the Falunia herdsmen, they, they capture people and they hold them for ransom and it seems like uh, we're getting reports all the time from Simon saying hey please pray, P- please pray and the, uh, back in October there were four missionaries that were taken and their wives and now praise God they were released uh, but we heard again some more were taken uh, but in, uh, in the conversation uh, that our missions guy had this, uh, this week with Simon He said, shockingly, he said, you know, our people are are actually praising God and they're actually saying how, what a blessing it is that we can be captured by Islamist terrorists because that is the only way they may hear about Jesus. By the way, that interview is online. Go to our fbcva.life page. Go to our um, Ministries are the global a global missions link, and it was just it just put up on Friday. They they just talked with them on Friday. Wonderful stories of faith, unreachable, Boko Haram, and believers are saying, "What a blessing to be captured, so we can share the good news." Anybody in your life unreachable? the encouragement would be, hey, don't stop praying because, you see, that's exactly why Jesus came, to seek and save that which is lost. I shared months ago about um, my mother-in-law, Lisa's mom, who's lived with us for 13 years, who passed away in May uh, at almost 94 years of age for seven years in the thralls of dementia. A very, very good person, extremely religious And all through the years that we were with her and and Lisa, after she got saved, sharing and witnessing to her mom, it was always, you know, mom, if you were to die tonight, do you know you're going to go to heaven? It was always, yeah, of course, but why? Because I'm good. And she was. She was extremely good. And then a year and a half ago, in the clutches of dementia, a mind that was like childlike. Lisa again shared with her and in that time it was like, I I don't know if I am going to heaven. And Lisa was able to share the good news and lead her mom to the Lord and, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. An extremely religious, righteous, good person who God finally opened her heart to see she wasn't good. She needed a Savior. Jesus came to seek and to save that lost person. Now, juxtaposed against that was a friend of ours way back when, Sammy. Sammy Dalton was his name. This guy was a drunken skid row bum. No kidding. In fact, he found himself one day at the Pacific Garden Mission, inner city of Chicago. They still do the, uh, a program on the radio called Unshackled. Uh, the story of, of deadbeat bums and how they come to Christ. And Sammy found himself at the Pacific Garden Mission and he trusted Christ as his Savior. His life was totally changed. He became a flaming evangelist for Jesus. We, that's when we knew him. We didn't know him as a skid row bum, a drunken bum, but we knew him after he got saved and he would tell this story and he led many, many people to the Lord. Both Lisa's mom and Sammy Dalton are in heaven opposite ends of the spectrum very religious very irreligious totally different stories yet two miracles of eternal salvation Jesus said actually in chapter 18 the chapter before the story of Zacchaeus with man things are impossible with God all things are possible never stop praying for that unreachable person that person who may think that they are squeaky clean and on their way to heaven with their own good works or that person who is an absolute reprobate, God came to seek and to save that which is lost because God is still doing the unthinkable, reaching and saving the unlovable so that he gets all the unshareable glory. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what we celebrate Christmas about. This week as you gather with family or friends, as you celebrate Christmas, who might Jesus be placing on your heart, on your mind? Is there a Zacchaeus in your life? Is there a blind beggar in your life? As we celebrate Christmas, let's not forget, that's why he came to seek and to save that which is lost. You might be here today. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Being here, obviously you're religious. But have you put your trust in Christ? When you stand before God one day, He's not going to ask you how many times you went to church. He's not going to ask you, you know, how much money you gave, how you, what good works you did. Did you try to obey the Ten Commandments? Were you honest in your business? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone? Have you transferred your trust off of yourself and onto Him and Him alone? You see, in that moment of faith, the free gift of eternal life is given. You become a a child of Abraham, a person of faith. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone? Would you bow your head, please, in prayer? Father, thank you for sending your Son into this world, for dying on a cross, Lord Jesus, for paying the penalty of our sin, for doing all the work, for rising again on the third day and proclaiming good news of great joy. You are a Savior, you're the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. You've come to give life to give it abundantly to all who will believe in you. I pray, Father, that we'll kindle afresh the the joy of that good news in our own life and we'll be encouraged to share it with anyone because no one is unreachable beyond, beyond your love, beyond your grace. No one is unredeemable. So thank you, Father, for this this season, this time that we can remember your great love. You came. You came to seek and to save that which is lost. You died on a cross for our sins. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.